It's the summer. The weather is beautiful. What a perfect time to stay inside and look at our fantasy football rankings and sleepers at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. And check out our podcast with Danny Kelly, Craig Horlbeck, and me, Danny Heifetz, at The Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase, every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you want to save money this year, I have a simple, surefire way to do it. Switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, their wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I'm Sean Fennessy, and this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about predators and prey. That's right. Streaming now on Hulu is Prey, the seventh installment in the Predator movie saga. This prequel is directed by Dan Trachtenberg, who made a really sharp Cloverfield movie back in 2016 called 10 Cloverfield Lane. I'll be chatting with Dan at the end of this episode. I hope you'll stick around for that conversation. But first, to talk about Prey and what makes a Predator movie so good, the apex predator of this podcast, Chris Ryan. What's up, CR? I've been working on my... <laughs> like the predator sound, but I yeah, can't yeah. get it right. I can't introduce myself as that. You know? Fortunately, you did bring your heat vision glasses for this episode, so Always. you're able to sense. Yes, truly. Uh, Chris, you are, despite fumbling the bag in the 1987 movie draft on this film, Predator, um, an avowed fan of this, this franchise. Uh, what'd you think when you heard that there was going to be a new movie coming out? Uh, as soon as I heard Trachtenberg was directing it, I was like, this is going to be good. Um, because he may not have made like a great movie yet, but somebody is going to give this dude a great script one of these days and he is going to get fucking busy when that happens. Like, I think that this is, it's fun to like bet on guys or put like, you know, do a little stock tips here on the big picture. Like Dan Trachtenberg doesn't really miss. It's just mm-hmm. that he's kind of like still trying to find his lane. And I hope that that lane is not Fantastic Four, although God bless him, you know, if he, if it is like, I hope it doesn't wind up being, you know, Black Adam too. But if he's still kind of like is working in this action thriller genre in a couple of years, he's going to find like the right story to tell that's not a prequel, that's not a sequel, that's not a reimagining, and it's going to be a banger. Yeah, I, I kind of asked him about this and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, but I was sort of like, so you're awesome. What you been doing with your time <laughs> for the last six years? Uh, because, you know, 10 Clo- Cloverfield Lane, as I mentioned, he directed, which is, you know, a pretty nifty little thriller that I think you and I both enjoyed. We might have even seen that movie together. And um, he also made Playtest, one of the better episodes of Black Mirror in the Very last five years. Episode, yeah. Very good episode. Um, and he's done a handful of other work on TV. I think he directed the boys pilot. He did. Um, yes. So. Which- He's like, he's got some magic dust to him. It's the playtest episode. It's cool that you bring that up because my dream for him is that like he is the John Carpenter to Wyatt Russell's Kurt Russell and that they go and make like a really good genre movie together. That would be really exciting. In the meantime, we have Prey. So let's talk about this movie a little bit and then I want to get your thoughts on the wider Predator movie universe. Um, this movie stars Amber Midthunder as the lead in Dakota Beavers and Dane DeLagero. Um The plot is basically this. 
In the Comanche Nation in 1719, a young warrior named Naru learns the prey she is stalking is a highly evolved alien with a technologically advanced arsenal. And then chaos in the wilderness ensues. And this is basically a largely silent adventure hunter movie. Um, it's a true prequel to the story. I think the idea is that this is the first predator that has landed on Earth. Or many is it? More, many more to come, uh, we know. This movie also features a full cast of Native American and First Nation actors, and it makes history as the first feature film to receive a full Comanche language dub. So if you're watching on Hulu, you can watch the film um, in Comanche. So this is a, as action movie franchise spinoffs go, pretty top tier. I was kind yeah. of amazed by how good it was. What did you think? Yeah, uh, a little bit of slow out of the gates. You know, I think that Predator movies are often defined by when the Predator shows up. Mm -hmm. This is like the reverse of Jaws. Like, I'm not really here to like, I want the Predator to be present. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I think in the first one, it's pretty cool how he remains invisible. And just like, all you get is his POV with the thermals for a while. But after that, like, if you're going to watch a Predator movie, you want some engagement with the, uh, with the species. That being said, after about like minute 25, 30 of this movie... It, when it cranks into the chase slash hunt film that it is, I don't really have a lot of notes. <laughs> I mean, the 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 thing that really works is every Predator movie is sort of defined by its setting. And they have found uh, in the Great Plains, and it looks like Montana kind of, I mean, I, I think I noticed, recognized a couple of those rivers from Yellowstone, you know? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I just think in the Great Plains, they have like this really awesome scenario where it's like, what if this Predator was hunting in relatively wide open spaces. It doesn't have the claustrophobia of the jungle or the city in the first two films. And it doesn't have the kind of almost weird cosmic otherness of the Predators movie. It's got like this sort of Western feel to it in a, in a lot of ways. And it's got a very, very elemental story of this person coming of age by realizing what they need to do to, to like hunt the thing that it, it cannot be hunted. Yeah, that's the fascinating thing about it too is it always seemed like there were no characters ever had the upper hand on the predator, not even Arnold Schwarzenegger. You never really felt like he had, he withstood a chance and he, you know, in the first film, he obviously finds a way to, I don't know about outwit, but essentially outplay the he predator finds a in that loophole, movie. Basically. Yeah. And in this movie, it's, it, it is elemental is the word you use. And I think that that's a really good way of describing it. There is something really muddy, dusty, you know, grimy about the way that this story is told and that the only way to kind of survive in this environment, especially one without technology, because it's set in the 1700s, is to be the craftiest hunter. Um, and Amber Mint Thunder's character like knows the terrain really well. And so it affords the opportunity to essentially see this open, beautiful space. That being said, you know, Trachtenberg told me that he wanted to just tell this story through action. Mm -hmm. And especially in the last 70 or so minutes of the movie, there's three or four truly exceptional set pieces. I talked to him a little bit about the sequence in the kind of like swamp hole that, you know, kind of sets up the the finale of the movie. Check off swamp hole for sure. Yes, <laughs> truly. Um, <laughs> what do you make of him as like more of an action filmmaker? Because 10 Cloverfield Lane and Playtest, those are kind of interior stories. They're more thriller driven. They're not action movies. What do you make of him as a uh, as a physical filmmaker? I think of him mostly as a creative mind. So he looks at a situation and is like, what's the best execution for this? And maybe that's, um, you know, hiding the, the hold card in 10 Cloverfield Lane. So you're like, you're kind of unaware as to like what what it is you're watching, you know, up until a certain point, you think it's just a kidnapping thriller, but, you know, it turns out the kidnapper is right about his paranoia. Um, with this film, 
the thing I was really most impressed by was he obviously constructs the movie out of these action sequences, but is confident enough in those sequences to let them breathe. And I'll, mm. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about, like what the opposite of that is. So I was watching No Time to Die with my mom last night, uh, which I hadn't seen since we saw it in the theater when it first came out. And there are tons of cool things happening in that movie, but they never let them breathe enough. So you'll get a cool shot or a cool sequence and then they need to jam another sequence right on top of it or have a major plot turn right on top of it so that you're never thinking in terms of tension and release. It's just all chaos the whole time. And the cool thing about Prey is you'll get... And are we allowed to talk about like specific sequences in this movie? Yeah, sure. This, okay, so there's a standout bear chase in this movie and... He knows the what he's got. He he has constructed this scene and he's like, this is sick. People are going to love this. I have to build up to it and then let them breathe after it so that I can't now immediately throw like 15 other things on top of it. And because it's such a spare story, he has the room to do that. Yeah, one of the interesting choices that he makes is while there are supporting characters in the movie, unlike even the most successful Predator movies, it's not about like picking the team off it's not one an by one. Yeah. It's not like that, you know? And I think that that's a good thing because in particular, Predators, and even The Predator, the Shane Black movie from a handful of years ago, basically cast like seven B to B plus actors and then they were slowly killed one by mm -hmm. one in the movie, which is such a familiar refrain from the original film that I think just centralizing this story on Naru as a character was really, really smart. It's a pretty, pretty solid movie. You know, the movie is going straight to Hulu, so I think by the time people hear this, a lot of people who were really interested in it probably would have seen it, which on the one hand is cool that people don't have to drag their ass to the movie theater. On the other hand, I had a chance to see it on a big screen. I think you had it, you watched it on a TV at home. It stinks. It's, I mean, it stinks. It's, the movie's really good. I'm, I'm mad. I'm, it's, and, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, especially right now. So I'm, we're recording this on August 2nd. I, I don't really have anything to see this weekend. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of it's bullet, it's bullet train, and that's it. You know yeah, that really that really is the release schedule, and so and guess what? I'm capable of seeing both as a, as a human yeah. being. Like I'm happy to see. I would be happy to take on both of those things. It's it's a good reminder of what would have been circa 2017 when you and I definitely would have just parked it at the ArcLight on a Friday at 4 p.m. and watched both movies. Yeah, like yeah. what am I trying to do? Like let's go see a double feature and get dinner. Like I don't. I I really wish this had come out, and especially there are probably you could conceive of a predator movie that would be good for streaming mm -hmm. but it's not this one both because of the landscapes and now i'm kind of just associate streaming stuff with a degree of talkiness mm. and i i have to just admit that sometimes you know like your eyes wander maybe to your phone or whatever and you can kind of keep up with the movie because of you know the dialogue is happening in the background right it's a, it's I'm not a, incapable of watching something like this, but I will say that on a big screen where you're just present with the film, I think this would have played even better. But I don't have, like I said, even on a small screen or a smaller screen, I was pretty captivated with what I saw, especially the second and third acts. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but you're right. This sort of borderline silent cinema approach that the movie takes for long stretches really works against it as an at-home watch because you're just not immersed in it and people are going to be second screening like crazy, which is really a shame. Um, I don't want to concern troll something that hasn't even happened yet, but this just feels like a product of decision-making in the face of COVID for a, you know, a, a streamer and a, and a series of conglomerated companies that are trying to stay ahead in an arms race. And if you have a mid-budget 
Predator movie, especially given the performance of the Shane Black film, maybe you just feel like, hey, this can just kind of boost, you know, this can kind of limit our churn rate for Hulu for the month of August. So we're going to stick it here. It is kind of a drag in the overall grand scheme of things because Trackenberg is a real filmmaker. It's a real cinematic action movie. And we get a lot of action movies, but I wouldn't say we get a lot of high quality action movies these days. And so it's it's just really unfortunate. On the other hand, Predator movies are thriving. There are pr- probably more now than I would have guessed circa 1995. In 1995, five years after the second Predator movie, I think I thought to myself, so they're just not going to make any more of these. And you had reason to believe that you were never going to see another one. Two is somewhat maligned, only moderately It's become successful. like a cult classic. It has, and, and we will definitely talk about it here. But then... We got this stream of them, first with the Alien versus Predator sequels, which are, I guess, not canonical necessarily, but are definitely Predator movies. And then now this is three in the last 11 years, 12 yeah. years. Yeah, so, and each time has been taken over by a pretty interesting filmmaker. I mean, obviously, uh, Robert Rodriguez produced Predators, but Nimrod Antal directed it. Shane Black, who is featured as an actor in the first film and sometimes is wrongly given authorial credit for the first movie, even though he didn't write it, uh, wrote and directed a pretty maligned and controversial, but like pretty enjoyable uh, dumb shit action movie version of this uh, called, uh, called predator, the predator. And now we get Trachtenberg with this complete reimagining. What do you think attracts these filmmakers out of all the intellectual properties to predator stories, which are, you know, pretty straightforward stories. I'm sure it's different for each one. I'm, I think obviously if Trachtenberg told you, like, I wanted to be able to tell a story driven by action, like that makes a lot of sense. I think Shane Black and possibly McTiernan and, you know, like there is a version of this that is kind of an action comedy or at least like a witty, wry action film. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think it's the idea that you get to play with a very, very, very primal cinematic depiction of, of a hunt, you know? And Mm -hmm. that is... I think people get very fired up about it. It's both why we watch like horror films. It's why we watch nature documentaries. There's like a lot of elements to it that are very appealing, even to like somebody who might not be into the mythology of where these things come from or why they've come to earth or, you know, what exactly the technology is. So before we get into like a a proper order of what are the best of these films, can I ask you one more thing about the release of this though? Yeah, sure. So this is like, Hulu has like these mid-tier movies, right? That they are regularly just putting on. Like, is it Fox Searchlight or is it like essentially like like that version of Fox is like this, here's the- this is I think this is 21st century Fox. Okay. Tw- or and- 20th century films, whatever they've rebranded as is is essentially what it's the it's the last remnants of the Fox proper distribution arm. Okay. So it's like I this is the second time this year, I guess, that we're chatting about one of these movies, because I think you and I talked a bit about No Exit, right? We did, yes. And I really, really want to believe that the accessibility to these movies will lead them to be seen by more people. But this is the second time where I'm like, I just wonder whether or not if this was in a theater, it would have caught on harder. You know what I mean? I mean, who's, which is not to say that this movie is not going to be successful and people aren't going to be tweeting about it all weekend or something like that. I think that it'll be enjoyed. But I do kind of wonder whether or not like, it's indicative of whether or not something can be a word of mouth sensation if it's a movie online. 
Yeah, I mean, the data apparently shows that films that get theatrical releases actually perform better on streaming and on PVOD and VOD. So a film like No Exit probably has less of a chance to significantly succeed than, say, the Bob's Burgers movie, as an example, because that's a movie that did get a theatrical release, even, and they're both distributed by Fox and Hulu and this kind of arm. The other thing is you kind of have to look at the agreements that are made between the production companies that participate in the making of the movie. So, for example, on September 9th, there's a horror movie coming out called Barbarian that I don't know a whole hell of a lot about, but it stars stars Bill Skarsgård. I'm very excited about it. It feels really in our zone, I would say. Yeah. That movie is getting a theatrical release, even though it doesn't have a predator in it. And so why is Prey going straight to streaming, but Barbarian is going into theaters? I I I think it's because Regency is the production partner on that film and Regency must have some sort of distribution agreement that all their films get a theatrical release. Regency also partnered with Fox on Amsterdam, the forthcoming David O. Russell movie. And that movie, of course, is also going to movie theaters. So it's not as simple as there's a guy, you know, Jim Searchlight or, or, you know, Bobby Sony in the parlance (laughs) of uh, the Watch podcast isn't just saying like, we need this over here and this over here and this over here. There's all kinds of agreements that have been made that make it confusing. It just it works against the viewer in some respects because I think a lot of people just don't even know that prey what prey is or where like like you really need a podcast like this you need a billboard you need something to tell you like hey guys there's a new predator movie it doesn't have the move the word predator in the title either so it's not like the easiest marketing sell of all time but I we're just we're in a nether zone we're yeah. in this purgatorical space of movie release now. That is very confusing and very frustrating, I think, for some people. Most people don't even realize. They're just like, they fire up Hulu, they see something they might want to check out. It's got a giant shark in it, and they're happy. But for guys like us, and especially people, I think, who listen to shows like ours to get a real sense of the landscape and to see, like, what should I watch? It's more confusing than it ever has been. It seems like it's going to be a couple of years before it really gets sorted. I'm sure I'm sure it's going to be a while before this all shakes out because it's, like, probably a lot of, like, pandemic-era thinking which they were, I guess, admirably able to like spin up pretty quickly when you think about it. Yeah. Is now going to take years to unwind. <laughs> yeah, I think there's also just two significant factors. Post-merger stuff, in addition to pandemic, where you've got a lot of companies that have consolidated and more companies that are going to consolidate. And then, honestly, everything that has happened in Netflix, as you and I have discussed in the last few weeks, has mo- many studios, just based on folks that I've talked to, basically reconsidering their entire strategy towards yeah. streaming. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what Disney Plus looks like in two years because they're going to have to, in some respects, go away from this very locked-in strategy they've had. We're really getting off topic, but I think I texted you the other night when I was like looking to watch something, I think in preparation for either the 1987 draft or something else. And I was like, are you aware of all these like micro-streaming services that they offer through Amazon but are essentially like Flicks Flicks and Monster Mash? And, like, <laughs> and I'm like... Do these companies just go around and buy like two dozen titles and then just twiddle their thumbs until they get acquired by a bigger a bigger streamer? But like is that like almost like you're flipping I like flipping properties, like flipping IP? I think many of those companies need to show that they've built the infrastructure in the event of acquisition. Gotcha. So that if they are bought by an Amazon or bought by a Viacom, that they can plug into the system that pre-exists. Now Part of it is just like the arms race with no end in sight, you know, and a movie like Prey, which is a really fun movie that I think guys like you and I are going to anticipate and maybe even watch a couple of times. 
are ultimately just remainders on the ledger. You know, they're just a part of like the corporate scheme. But I don't, I don't want to get too caught up on that. No, yeah. and can I? I'm going to say one thing in favor of the release of Prey, the way it's being released, is you can immediately go back and break down like how, kind of how he did certain things, mm. or how he sets up, or how he shoots certain things, which has always been, I think, kind of the coolest part about the the straight to streaming or having films on streaming is the ability to kind of go back 15 seconds, go back 30 seconds, and then kind of be like, oh, neat, like that was a steady cam shot. And the bear is out of frame, and then you know, like all that stuff that you kind of on the first tr- pass are really only reacting to viscerally. You can almost break down like it's game tape. That is a really um, that is a nice benefit of this moment in, in movie release history. Let me ask you this about predator movies: How would you do in a predator setting if you were being hunted? That's a great question, man. I don't really have, I think, a marketable skill in the predator economy. <laughs> uh, I'm not particularly well built. I would call myself like witty, but not somebody who is good at outwitting people. You know, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think unless the predator is disarmed by my sense of humor, like I don't think you are uh, definitely witty. There's no question about that. But I it's not you- like I'm like I will construct this beaver dam to you know it can incapacitate the predator as I run away. You are, I would say, an expert at reading the emotionality of the room, though. Sure. And so I wonder if if. As long as the predator is uncloaked, I feel like toe to toe, you have charisma in your favor. Yeah. favor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, You you and Predator doing a pod that would be a fun pod. You you know you're legendary for being able to pod with anybody. Anybody, yeah. You you and the Apex Predator, come on. So I would be like Predator. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> saying that Golden State shouldn't be penalized for having their homegrown talent now count against the luxury tax. What say you? <laughs> Oh, so Jordan Poole, you think is that that that, that might be a guy they move, huh? <laughs> That'd be a good show. That would be a really, really good show. Um, uh, pl- how about the Predator Empowerment Era? That could be the name of the show. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like nobody's asking the Predators what they think. Yeah. Why are we not letting the Predator play in the NBA, too, by the way? Why, <laughs> why, why have, <laughs> are you guys worried about the Predator going to Taiwan? <laughs> uh yeah, I think you would not survive. I think you would last all of five minutes against a predator. I say that with love and respect. So one thing that like I do think I have going for me is, strangely, I've seen most of the Predator movies with the exception of the pre- Alien versus Predator ones multiple times. And I think I know what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I definitely think that uh, no matter what, if I have even the slightest hint that a Predator might be in the vicinity, I'm getting covered in mud. Stripping down, getting covered in mud. That seems to be the uh, the cheat code against yeah. the Predator and something that Danny Glover really did not have at his expense in Predator 2. Because uh, of that Los Angeles. But like, you'd also think that the Predators would have like kind of a WhatsApp just being like, hey, by the way, like these Earthlings love to just jump in the dirt whenever we show up. So just make sure you do like an extra thorough check before you move on. Truly exceptional stuff. Um, <laughs> I, how, how do you think I would do against the Predator? I've been weighing this. Um, you know... You're very poised. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And in most of these movies, somebody freaks out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that you wouldn't do that. I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, though, after that, like, I don't really know what you're going to do about it. Like, you're kind of like, you have, you have a bad back. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. You don't like to share. So in any kind of survivalist situation, I don't know if you're going to really be like bringing along the group, you know? Uh, which then puts you kind of with a target on your back because you're rolling solo, right? Yeah, but I'm a survivor, you know? Yeah. Survive in advance. That's been my approach to life. 
And um, <laughs> I feel like one on one, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely, I want to get killed by the spear. You know the spear oh, I want to go he has quick. I need the the three dots on my forehead. Oh, go you want the, the laser I just target? Get, yeah, don't. I don't want to go out like Jesse Ventura. Okay, all right. Where I'm like my cavity is open for like thirty seconds. But the the Jamaican gangbangers who are assaulted <laughs> by the spear in Predator Two. That's kind of how I want to go. Um, yeah. I guess this question is: What do you want to be doing when the predator comes? You know, what will you be like? It was a life worth living. I know what you want to be doing. You want to be cranking it. You, you want to oh, you you go say- out on top. <laughs> uh, what do I want to be doing? I mean, probably just watching a 4K of yeah. Once Upon a Time in the West before I catch a spear in the back of the head. <laughs> Why would the Predator be coming after me? Why would I? I probably wouldn't be perceived <laughs> as a threat. DVDs. No. What if the currency <laughs> of the Predator world was Blu-rays? I love that. I love the idea of the Predator home planet just being surrounded by incredible physical media. Uh, so you ne- you never watched the Alien vs. Predator movies? I did, but I I just I, I haven't revisited them. Are you gonna are you gonna come from the no, Paul no. W S Anderson is actually a secret genius? No, I did corner? see. I, it's weird. I'm surprised by this. I would have thought that you and I would have participated in this together. It was right around when we met when these movies started coming out. They're they're the least good Predator movies in my opinion. But I saw both of them in movie theaters. I remember thinking to myself. Oh, Sanaa Lathan is in Alien vs. Predator? This is probably going to be good. And shout out to her. I'm sure she got a dope paycheck. She was not the worst action heroine of all time, but that movie doesn't really stack up to the others. Um, do you have them at the bottom tier? of? The- I do. I kind of yeah. keep... I mean, like, I'm sure they're not without their pleasures, and I'm sure we'll get some feedback being like, you dorks don't understand. Like, this is this is actually, like, the true competition is the Alien versus the Predator, and they're not these, these humans. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they just never really, like, I didn't find them either exciting or funny, which I think is probably like the, the you have to choose one. In the um, in the Alien versus Predator universe, is that sort of like you versus Amanda in the movie draft, or <laughs> me versus you? Like, who does that represent? You think? By the way, I think s- at this point it would probably be you versus. Would it be you versus Quentin? Not based on the recent voting. I think oh, by yeah, the recent voting, uh, you took an L. How do you feel? About I did, that? but I think the vote was split. There was like a lot of third parties running, you know. Uh, you, I don't, I don't know what you mean. You're, you're the Let, king of third party voting, but uh, I'm let's not just sure say what you mean. if we had because it was mentioned in the room that like maybe Quentin and Roger should run against one another in one primary, and then oh, the big pick three to re- retain the integrity of our records should have a separate poll. I see. I wonder whether or not Quentin and Roger siphoned votes from me. Is what I'm saying. Um, I think even if that had been the case and you added up all of Quentin and Roger's votes, you still would not have defeated me. That's just And that's then Bobby just, just dropped a, an interesting factoid that many people are talking about uh, how um, there was some talk that the CR heads are letting Sean have this one so that the drafts could continue. I see. I see. Um, so, Sean, hey, congrats, man. For sure. <laughs> uh, We're all well, super proud of you, man. Chris, I think we all know that in the... Me and my guys f- vaping at the Apple store, <laughs> just being like, let's let him have one. CR, we know you We know you blinked, man. We know you sat next to Quentin Tarantino and you blinked. I did. I you- totally admit that. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry for getting freaked out by the guy who made Pulp Fiction. <laughs> uh, okay. So AVP and AVP Requiem, bottom of the list. Talk me out of it, though. Like, Do, no, do you have them higher? I, I can't. can't. I mean, I think Predator 2 is like kind of a piece of shit, but it's fun. Um, yeah. And... I think that, you know, this conversation is somewhat marred by the very 
uh, problematic and unfortunate circumstances of some of the production of The Predator, which, you know, setting all that stuff aside, that is external to the film. You and I are really big Shane Black fans. You're probably the biggest Shane Black fan I've ever met. Um, I still felt like that movie was not really fully together. Like, if I look at the list of all of the Predator movies, it's probably number five for me behind, you know, the, the two original films and Predators and this new one, honestly. I got very, very, very pot committed to my this movie is going to be good take. Yeah. And there are moments in the film, specifically with Sterling K. Brown, who is uh, basically has got nanobots running through his blood in that movie. He's just so good. <laughs> yep. Where you're like, there is like the, the promise of this film is astonishing. But then they put like the kid from Room, isn't it? Jacob and everybody Tremblay. Knows, yeah. yeah. And like he has like a major part in the film, uh, which was not what I signed up for. And just generally speaking, I think some of the humor just, you know, left of target there. Uh, and while I, like, I really appreciated what he was going for, there were some really bad special effects. There was some really weird cutting. And it was obviously marred by like everything that happened around the production of that film. And just like, there was, it was just like bad vibe central coming into that movie. That's, that's what it is. There's something, there's an air of, we cursed, we, we yeah. screwed up. We, something is yeah. not right here. Um, Okay, so then let's let's put the Predator at number five. You could make the case that well, it's it's not worse than Alien versus Predator Requiem. So that leaves us so. that leaves us with four films. I would say Predator Two is honestly less successful than Prey. Can you debate me on that? So speaking of movies of their time, this is a film starring Danny Glover, Ruben Blades, and Maria Conchita Alonso. Uh, during a heat wave in Los Angeles, these detectives are trying to quell a gang war between Colombians and Jamaicans. Mm-hmm. You forgot about is, Gary Busey, by the way. Oh, Busey. And Bill Paxton. Sorry. I mean, it's uh, like that cast is pretty awesome. Pretty sick. And it is like the most 1990 plot. Like, it was just like, maybe movies are bad for people. Like, I don't even, <laughs> like it's just like real bad stereotypes of Colombians and Jamaicans. And get them getting murdered by the Predator and, and Danny Glover slowly kind of coming to the conclusion that perhaps this is elevated beyond the, the just mere gang warfare in L.A. On the that one hand, said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it does, it pre, precedes the L.A. riots and the sort mm-hmm. of the, the Rodney King um, incident and everything that sort of, it does, you know, I wouldn't say it predicts it because it's such an outlandish caricature. But this of is some an of incredible the, take from you, though. Predator but, 2 predicts the Rodney King riots <laughs> is just outstanding shit. Well, but I, all I'm going to say is it's it's like pretty much an offensive portrayal of LA, but also Every LA once in was, a while we was get on a the verge. What would happen if you were unemployed <laughs> <laughs> and you were just like on your couch and be like, before I go to work at Best Buy today, <laughs> I just want to say that Predator 2 doesn't get enough credit for depicting. The socioeconomic divides of early 90s. All I'm saying is before Gavin Newsom mounts his big run for president, just Uh, take a look at Predator 2. Get a sense. That's what's going to happen. The cultural diaspora of our city. And, you know, just keep it in mind when when, when analyzing the country. Yeah. Uh, Um, I think that Predator 2 has, has had like a little bit of like a fun film Twitter like revival over the years. Um, I still prefer the next three over it, I think. Yeah, I do too. You and I were pretty heavy. Well, I'll, I'll say I think Prey is probably the third best of these films in totality. Okay. Um, I probably need to see it again. 
it might need to go to like four or five over time and rewatches. Predator 2, like I just rewatched it last night, which is why all of my sociopolitical thoughts about it are fresh in my mind. Um, it's like so loud and noisy and stupid in 1990 that it some points are docked, I think. Yeah. But it's a product of its time. It's a complete product of like the kind of post McTiernan, post Jim Cameron. It's being a real step down because it's like, very much first, so. we'll get to the first one, but the first one is one of the great action movies maybe ever made. So, um, okay. Prey at three. Talk about Predators a little bit, because I think you and I both love this movie, and it's a little bit forgotten to time at the moment. Yeah, so I remember, uh, you know, this this was came with a lot of fanfare, both because of the Rodriguez angle, but also just because I think it was advertised as a sort of no-nonsense, gritty take on the franchise, which had not typically been the treatment that the, you know, obviously, like, do you have the, the sci-fi elements of the Alien versus Predator stuff? The first two films have a lot of one-liners and a lot of, like, you know, meme ability. And this was supposed to be more, I think, straight-faced mm-hmm. and, and like, what if the world's worst criminals were put in, like, hunting a gaming preserve that is there for Predators. Um, that being said, there's a lot of funny stuff in this, like especially from Walton Goggins. He's amazing in this movie. Uh, it's got an incredible cast. If people haven't seen it, I will not reveal the late, the late act period, like a uh, cameo that happens. I loved that reveal when I saw it the first time. Um, I mean, should we just say what happens? For, are we we holding out hope that people didn't see Predators while they listened to minute thirty-seven of a Predator podcast? This is a twelve-year-old film, so it's a good point. Um, you were talking about Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne shows up as like a kind of stowaway who has crossed over. Let's just say, and uh, it's just really rad. I don't think they had like an ending in mind. Adrian Brody also is like a yoked-up action star is a is a really interesting choice on his way to being like dude number eight in nine Wes Anderson movies for the rest of his career. I feel like most people bought Adrian Brody's stock on The Pianist, but you really bought it on this film. This is when you were like, this is my guy now. This is my new Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just thought it was kind of cool that he could go from like nervy New York weirdo to to this. You know, and I, I think it obviously never like popped off for him as as a headline movie star, but he has like developed himself like a pretty fantastic late period career between Succession, Winning Time, Wes Anderson. Like he's fucking great. Can I tell you something? I think the reason that you and I have such a fondness for this movie is because it is the perfect fusion of trash special ops and junk sci-fi. It is literally right in the Venn diagram center of those two Subjects. Then when they're like, is that enough? And I'm like, that's that sounds like it's enough. They're like, what if I added a Yakuza character? It's pretty sick. <laughs> and, and also uh Mahershal Ali yeah. as a as a death squad soldier. Yes. I mean, this movie is pretty ridiculous. Uh recommended if people haven't seen it, even though we've just spoiled it. Did I mention Topher Grace was in it too? Yeah, what a he weird plays, movie. He's like the um, basically the Paul Riser from Aliens character. That's right. Kind of. That's right. Right. I mean, I think he's like a serial killer, but like, I think he's he's supposed to be like, why am I here? You know, <laughs> is he a serial killer? Yeah, he starts like free like poisoning people. Oh, right. They're right, all right. killers. Like, it's like the worst criminals, and he's just like, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just wearing a vest. Interesting. Okay. Um. So that's that's predators. The movie Predator that you've talked about it many times. 
you did a whole rewatchables about it in in the in the year of our lord 2022 when you look back on the 35th anniversary of predator what do you think i it's timeless i just don't think it's really aged today and that's pretty astonishing considering the fact that it it's got a pretty significant amount of it has got some special effects to it that you think would really... I mean, even watching E.T., you're like, okay, man. Uh, but, like, it's not that it's ever... You know, there's, like, tons of implausible stuff. I think it's the best use of Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. I think that it's the most interesting and entertaining and also fucked up first 40 minutes of any of these movies because usually the first act is the characters involved trying to be like, what the fuck is happening? Like, why are people getting picked off? Why is this violence that we're seeing so much more gruesome than we're used to? And I thought Prey played with that really interestingly with the idea that, um, you know, the Comanches are witnessing like kind of the incursion of these uh, trappers and fur trappers. And the fur trappers. By the way, fur trappers seem like all-time scumbags. Pretty awful people. Yeah, We haven't really gotten a lot of like, Here's a positive spin on the on the French Canadian fur trapper. Um, sounds like a really good project for you. You know, re- <laughs> reclaiming their guys? dignity. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Why not? Uh, <laughs> no, they're pretty bad, and I think they were used very effectively in this story. Um, and you're right, Predator. It does. It has that you know that faint, that sleight of hand where it seems like it's going to be a kind of like Iran Contra. Yeah. You know, story about Bolivians who are, you know, invading in a certain space. And it's very much not that at all. It's something completely different. It's not about the Russians. It's yeah. Not about- I mean, when you first encounter, when they, when the, the soldiers that we're following encounter the patrol that came before them, that's one of like the all time, like, oh shit moments. Yeah. What in is movies. happening here? Yeah. You know, their skin is stripped off yeah. and everything. That's remarkable. Um, you know, when you get like a special forces soldier crossing himself, it's about to go down. <laughs> Is the Predator team that is assembled in that first film the best team? Like, is it is it better than the Dirty Dozen? You know, is it oh. better than, like, in the, that's a whole future episode for us to do, but. I don't want to step on it. I mean, yeah. like, because you're, so, best squad? Yeah, best squad. So, it's squad, like, basically, Magnificent Seven, Dirty Dozen, the Predator guys, Ocean's yeah. Eleven. Seven Samurai, there's so many. Seven Samurai. Yeah. I think, germinate on that. The journalists from Spotlight. <laughs> Uh huh. Yep, for sure. Um, all right, don't step on that query because that's won't. we can get definitely seventy five minutes out of that, maybe more. Squad draft, great. That that's a fun. great idea. And you could pick it like, you know, physical attributes, best hang, yep. worst hang. You know, yep. yeah. I love it. I love it. The Glorious <laughs> Bastards. They would be on that list for sure. Yeah. Um, I have one last very quick movie draft question for you before I let you go. Um, someone suggested on social media that we do a draft don't release it release the lineup of the films that were selected but don't put a name on it and see who wins based on the roster and then release the episode so people can hear it and learn who got someone what. tweeted this someone tw- someone tweeted it at me i'm Some, dead, I'm someone dead. yeah well, uh, honestly, if, if I came up with the idea, I would proudly share it with you. I feel no reason to was suggest it, that. Was some- it Conforto Fan six four six? Like, what was it? <laughs> I, I no longer pledge loyalty to Michael Conforto. Um, you, are you against that? Because then your then your crew of of cretins would not be able to manipulate the system. Uh, let, let's let's see where we get through the. Like, I I think that that 
I don't know why you're like I'm. I'm gonna nominate. I'm gonna endorse both of these guys for the Senate. Like we let let's like keep playing straight up. I think you have okay, some good okay. ideas for variations on upcoming drafts. I'm very okay. excited about them. Okay. Okay. Doing a blind taste test because I think that there's there's an element of it that people draft because of the list of movies that they see, and mm-hmm. then there's an element that people draft because of performance. I've gotten dinged because my brain short, short like a fuse went out and I picked the wrong movie first, or like Quentin Tarantino like intimidates me or whatever yeah not intimidates me but you know like i just like was like what is what would he pick you yeah. know you got you were psychologically analyzing i was trying to do too much i was like yeah. i was like a poker player who was trying to guess everybody's hand and it just didn't work but i'm still happy with the movies i got out of there i think that there are times though where like people have done like just great work you know like your your personality is just sh- shown through on a movie draft and that's what people are voting for it's not necessarily the movies it's the man is there anything else, not to put too fine a point on, is there any more meat on the bone when it comes to the Predator franchise? Where, where do you want to see the Predator go next? Um, I think there's a lot. I mean, honestly, it's, it's very fungible. You know, we could go to 6th century China. You know, mm-hmm. we, could, we could go to the future in, on Earth. We could go to any number of places. I feel like it's very adaptable. Maybe that's what Gray Man 2 is about. <laughs> Maybe Gosling has to fight I think that's actually what Gray Man's about. Grayman oh, two. the Grayman too. Yeah, sorry, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, <laughs> I don't know. What about you? You you want to see more of these? Yeah, I can't decide. Like I was kind of like knew it would be badass. Is um like a medieval predator, like predator oh, yeah. versus knights. That would be yeah, pretty good. good. Like if we're gonna keep going backwards. So um, if they do that, I feel like the ending should be that they find a way to have the predator contract the bubonic plague. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, that's a little war of the worlds podcasting predator so predator with a pod or predator is killing podcasters bobby see the actually is the premise is you and the predator have a pod it's a long-running show very successful in kind of like the come town chapo org you know you're in that dirtbag left but then the predator becomes radicalized and swings hard right oh okay yeah and then it's like he said, he said, and you guys are kind of bickering. Crossfire, but like he actually has like a laser on his shoulder. It's the McLaughlin <laughs> group, but in the 21st century. And then it ends with you being shot in the face. Yeah. I think also there's like a whole realm of, of, of place you could go with Predator is just like a comic kind of like, it's like, you know, a sitcom or like the Predator is a gym teacher. But like, you know, like, like, don't come in last yeah. because he will stab you in the spine. Like, Yeah. Or like, what about sort of like a, like a home improvement setup where there's like a family living in a house, but the Predator oh, lives yeah. next and door. And he can like buzzsaw things with like his Yeah. This, but you only hand. see like the top of his head, you know, like Wilson and neighbor <laughs> in home improvement, but you can see the dreadlocks. That would be yeah. good. Yeah. Um, I think we're on to something. I think we got to take the Predator IP back out. Was Trachtenberg um, like not to step on it? Was he like, I'll do more of these? Was he? Did he? Did he talk at yeah, all? Yeah, he was that? like, I heard you and Chris have some really good ideas, so yeah. I'd love to get with you guys and talk about uh, our sitcom possibilities. Podcast no, no, I, Predator. <laughs> I think he was just like, I've been doing this for four years, and I haven't had a chance to really think about much else because it seemed like a very, um, a very challenging movie to make, and you can tell there's like a lot of physical fortitude in the performances, in the filmmaking style, and it paid off. I, th- I think people should check it out. It's a cool movie. It's awesome. I was I was really happy about it. I hope people I hope people watch it. It's it's like a really cool. We got we got a late summer is coming for us, man. They they've got we got prey. We got bodies. We got we got a bunch of movies coming that I feel like are like cool genre movies. It's almost like reverse dumpuary. It's Let's the CR it. zone. This is where you thrive. The um, desert Cr- of the real. That's right. 
Chris, thanks for doing this, man. You're, my, you're the only pleasure. predator for me. <laughs> All right, let's go to my conversation with Dan Trachtenberg. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you want to save money this year, I have a simple, surefire way to do it. Switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, their wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Would I try to squeeze in an extra movie? Maybe try to read a book? The best way to squeeze that special thing in your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Big Picture today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Big Picture. This episode is brought to you by Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig inspires people of all ages to jump through life and its muddy puddles with enthusiasm. The relatable stories, oinks, and giggles have made her preschooler's first best friend, helping them navigate everyday life with unabashed exuberance. And now you can discover new playtime adventures with your little ones. Jump into spring and hunt for muddy puddles in Peppa's caravan playset. Hit the road for endless adventures and have heaps of fun with Peppa's whole family. Oinks and giggles are guaranteed. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence since 2004. Peppa Pig is a trademark of Hasbro created by Mark Baker and Neville Astley. Dan Trachtenberg is here. He's the director of a new Predator film called Prey. So Dan, let's start with Predator. What's your relationship to the original? All the films? When did you see it? Tell me the whole emotional backstory. Uh, it's quite emotional. I, 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 um, I was in third grade when the original came out and was desperate to see it, but was not allowed to see R-rated movies, which is, you know, fair enough. Um, so, uh, but I have a very distinct memory of being in the back of a minivan on the way in a carpool on the way to a karate tournament. And all the sixth graders had just seen Predator. Um, so they spent the entire ride um, to like the local Y or wherever the tournament was um, describing the entire movie to me. And, and I very much remembered them saying there was a, there was a fight on a bridge over a waterfall between Billy, the native American tracker and the predator. And then years later, uh, when I eventually saw the movie, um, that scene I saw was not in it. <laughs> um, so that definitely is, the, the seed of this that, you know, um, and I also remember when I eventually did watch it, um, there was another, one of my best friends, we did this ritual where we, we would rent movies, um, and then buy the man magazine that had the parody of that specific movie. We did it with predator and we did it with crocodile Dundee too, or is my distinct memory. <laughs> um, 
And we would like watch the movie, then pause, then read the Mad Magazine parody up until that point. They continue watching the movie and then read the Mad Magazine. It was um, pretty crazy. Yeah, it was fun. Do you remember what they called Predator in the Mad Magazine parody? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. What do you? I don't. They must have just changed the title to something very, very dumb, but very oh, clever. Oh, I thought you were about to blow my mind. <laughs> no, no. I wish I, I wish I could remember it. Um, right. So when you saw the movie, oh, right? well, yeah, I'll be googling that as soon as when you saw the movie, did you think I'm going to make one of these one day? Is that something that you would you would allow to roll into your mind? The thing that I did think when I saw it, this, my other tidbit of nostalgia was I think GamePro magazine or Nintendo Power would have a contest, draw out a level, and they would feature in the magazine. And I did that for Predator um, and did not get in the magazine. Though I will say our post office, our po- post office, our post-production office where we edited the movie, um, we had an old Nintendo with Predator, uh, the Predator NES game, and it is atrocious. It is so... <laughs> it, it's, it's, imp- it's impossible. It's, it's made to be impossible. Um, so I'm sure the level that I designed uh, far surpassed. Um, oh, they called it the predecessor. <laughs> Interesting. Um, um, thank you for looking that up. Yeah. Tell me about how you got into this because this movie's been brewing for a few years um i can't say i was necessarily hankering for a predator prequel and yet seeing it i'm like this makes a lot of sense in the arc of the story now after you've finished the film so how did, how did it come about um well i i think i was very inspired by um mad max fury road and really hankering to also make a movie that would be largely um uh, told through action. And, um, I, I didn't want it to just be a visceral experience. I really wanted it to to see if I could make it an emotional one as well. Um, so I thought about maybe taking the engine of a sports movie of an underdog story and injecting it into a genre film. Um, and then thinking about that, it was like, well, wouldn't it be great if the protagonist was one that we never see in a movie? Um, and unfortunately, Native Americans and, and Comanche in particular are so often relegated to playing the sidekick or the villain and never the hero. Um, so uh, it was sort of the combination of all those things and then wanting to do period sci-fi inherently anyway. And, um, and if it's an underdog story, the, you know, the opponent needs to be like the most ultimate opponent. I didn't want to just be man against the elements, want to be Man against the impossible, man against the impossible. So, um, all of those things fused together, and I had this idea um, that I got really excited about. Though I knew that they were um, making, they were prepping or in production on the last Predator movie. So I pitched it as calling it Prey, um, thinking that it was an avenue for them. Uh, to be making like the main franchise films. And then this kind of movie would be sort of like, like rogue one or solo functioned with, um, with the star Wars franchise. So, uh, and then, and then that movie came out and then the Fox Disney merger happened and and the movie kind of went, went away. And then thankfully awesome people over at 20th, uh, read the script and was like, wait a second, this is, are we making this cool? Um, and then people got excited about it again. So I want to ask you more about this film, but what you just described, which is sort of contemporary, clever, 
pitching for studios, understanding where IP is and how it could even fit into a calendar three to five years down the road. Like, is that a skill that you had to develop? Is that something that comes to you naturally? How do you know how to do that? It was, um, I mean, that in this specific case, it was out of desperation because I thought I was like, this is so good. And, and I think you know, my reps were like, well, they're already making, like they're already making one. So it's not of all the things to be pitching, developing, don't let's put our eggs in another bet, you know? But I thought if I could find a way to make it make even more sense um, while they were still working on something else, um, then then it would benefit. Uh, then it would get the movie going because uh, everything is like a desperation of like, well, how can I get a movie going? Um, so and so often thinking about IP, of course, for, uh, existing franchises. Um, though I have a bunch of original things, and they're the hardest to get made. Um, this one went went away. We definitely thought a lot about like, okay, it's so good. Could we just not make it a predator that, you know, but the thematic weight that the movie gets out of it being a predator movie, just made it like, I, I, I just couldn't let go of that. I had to keep waiting to see if they would thinking about it again. But I, I don't know that I've thought I'm certainly not a movie business studier beyond the, being a fan my entire life and, and thinking about summer movies and fall movies and all of those kinds of things and um, and being a student of, of that um, just you know naturally and in this case maybe it came handy a little bit but I may, I probably don't think about that as much as I should. I got to say after I saw Ten Cloverfield Lane I was very excited for your career as a film director and then you worked on series television and made some really great episodes of tv in that time but it's a six-year window between the first film and this film what where were you in your career when you were pitching this movie in in 18 um i think i pitched it earlier than that uh but i was i mean after jen clover lane came out um i just was smitten on cool now i can make this awesome original thing that i was dying to make and i had like three of those um but it's still challenging it's still hard even though the, the movie was a success i i immediately did black, black mirror episode like like the movie had just barely come out and i went went to england so um that was right away and then i just spent several years being kind of picky and i, I didn't want to just make to make, you know, as much as my family would love the, um, the, the income, I, I just really wanted, um, to make sure everything I made, I, I could be super proud of and excited about and something that doesn't already exist in, in movie, um, in movie dumb. So, uh, I was holding off for all the original things. And then I found, I mean, this sort of, as I was just saying a little bit came from sneaking an original concept into um, a pre-existing franchise. So I think that's that for me, the recipe that I was using the guide is like, is the movie great on its own? And then, um, if it's a part of a franchise, does that make it even better? Not like, how do I just sneak it into the franchise and then, and shoehorn it in, which I think people, myself include, no, we can all sniff out. And sometimes we find that a little unset, you know, not, not great, but um, but so this, the fact that it was awesome as an, it should be a movie already anyway. And then, oh my gosh, if it's a predator, it's even better. Um, 
that kind of thing. And that was in 2017 when I pitched it. Um, so, and then, and then people, this was, then we were working on this. Then I was doing previews for that, you know, things were happening. And then, like I said, the Fox station merger and, and then I went and did a t- TV show and I thought, Oh, this will come back. You know? So it's like, it's just years. And then we were in production this two years ago, you know? So, um, it just, everything takes so much time. So you talked about the original story elements that you really wanted to get into and, and how to make that compelling, but what, what needs to go into a predator movie to make it good, to make it compelling? Um, I mean, in my opinion, uh, I think it being very focused on the hunt, the hunter, um, the, the predator is looking for the alpha. And so I looking for what, who's on top. So I really want to embrace all the, um, thematic elements that that could bring to light. Um, I think of course there's, there's visual hallmarks, uh, hallmarks of the, you know, the heat vision and, um, and uh, the oral hallmarks of his sounds. Uh, what I'm hoping, you know, we did a little bit of uh, redesign on the way that the creature looks. And for me, that was getting further into the spirit of predator, it, you know, of not being, not feeling like a, the, the first movie, the 87 predator delivered on something that none of the others that followed it did. It, it really surprised us three times. We saw it cloaked all of us and we're like, Oh, that's the predator monster. That's it. That crazy ghost thing. And then it decloaked and it had its, you know, space suity biomass. We thought, Oh, awesome. That's the predator. That's such a cool looking thing. And then it takes that mask off and then you see it for real. And you go, Oh no, that's the predator. Um, so I thought in, in, in redesigning it a little bit, I could give even diehard fans of the franchise that same sense of surprise again, while really drilling into the very core of the idea that it is a, it is a space creature. Um, I did not want it to feel like it is a um, professional wrestler lumbering, lumbering around in a suit that I sometimes feel like is the feeling from some moments in the, in the franchise. Um, so we really went out of our way um, to affect the silhouette um, so that our, our stunt player inside could move um, in ways that they hadn't been able to before. Um, there's a combination of uh, visual effects working with the practical suit so that this thing can be just that much more ferocious and alien and animalist. So um, I think that's the heart of the idea uh, uh, that even the original was going after. And, and we wanted to sort of honor the spirit of that and deliver on something that only that first one could in terms of its formula of, you know, the three stages of the predator. So you mentioned that Mad Max Fury Road was a big inspiration and telling a story through action was kind of a goal of yours. That's so was I, Road Warrior, by the way, that because it, it's, it's, it's the, it, well, not, not only because it's, you know, the last act of Road Warrior is Fury Road, but also, you know, Mel, you know, Mad Max and his dog is, is, was very much, you know, we wanted to see that one oh, yeah. silhouette of Nadu and her dog in this movie, you know, that's really good. I mean, so help, help me and listeners understand how you do what you're, what you set out to do. In other words, we think of a movie and even a movie screenplay and we just think dialogue story, moving the plot along. This film has a plot, but it's a very 
straight ahead pursuit story more or less and then reverse pursuit. And I don't think I'm giving anything away by saying that. So are you storyboarding the entire movie as you're writing it? How are you writing action sequences into the screenplay? How much do you know you're going to do when you're preparing for the film in that way? Well, I, first of all, I don't want to, um, I mean, that, that was the initial instinct. And then um, I started working with this writer, Patrick Ason, and I got caught up uh, in telling a potentially really lovely story about this, um, this young uh, woman trying to prove herself. So there is some dialogue uh, and it's, it's, it's very, very hard to ship away and find the most economic way to tell it because both of us were like, let's have this little dialogue in this spot, maybe no dialogue. And then we, there was like, okay, we need some, we need to establish this and that, you know? Um, so it was very challenging um, just to hone in on, on those story beats through dialogue. And then yes, the action, um, I think it's all written out initially, but there's much more of a back and forth, my process in previs. Um, and storyboarding motion boards and previs. And then sometimes the script changes to reflect what we discovered in previs. Um, And then there's, you know, ideas that happen on the day and that we're constantly open to those things because people's physicality, the way location looks, you just can't always predict. Um, But, but yeah, for this movie in particular, um, there was, the script was constantly changing Rather, rather than f- doing storyboards to match the script, sometimes, I mean, we invented an entire scene. The tall grass sequence was an in- initial draft of the screenplay. Um, that came from uh, just an idea we were riffing on while we were previewing the movie. Then we just did the scene in boards and then wrote the script to reflect that sequence. Tell me about making a film about the Comanche Nation and, you know, all of the care that you have to put into telling a story like this. And I know you obviously have essentially like, uh, dub dialogue in a different way for so the people watching the film could hear it and understand it differently. But like, what you know, at what point did you realize you had to tell the story this way? Um, well, very. I mean, we we wrote one draft and then found this woman, Juanita Patapony, um, and her her nephew Dustin Tumbera, but she is a Comanche culture bear, um, and. Uh, you know, shared our initial draft of the script and then collaborated with her um, to make sure we were getting everything right. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away in the long process it took to get the movie to finally get made. And then when we needed a producer, we tracked down this woman, Jane Myers, who's um, Comanche herself, um, and was able to... So we didn't just have an advisor, though we had a number of historians, advisors, and all sorts of different departments. Um, but... Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had a producer, so that was a huge part of it. Uh, but it's not, and it's not just honoring Comanche, you know, the Comanche Nation. It's you know, we were shot in shot in Canada, so a lot of our talent was First Nations as well. Um, people came from all over the U.S. In addition to that, to, to help on the film and and to be part of the cast. So um, it really is um, just em- embracing um, uh, what I think is the the only way, you know, morally to make this kind, this kind of movie. Um, but, but not, I think, I, I just think things become some, the more specific you get, the more universal things become. Um, so 
I, I think all of the cool, I don't want people to feel like, Oh, just for history that, you know, it's like, no, no, no. Even the, even the most shot, like there's a, there's a moment in the movie um, where Nadu played by Amber Mud Thunder um, whistles at night, um, whistling at night is sort of like up for like an evil, something along those lines. Um, and so that was the instinct of James, like, oh my God, this is my, this would be great if she whistled at night, you know? And that made for a great, really interesting character moment. Um, but that came from culture, history, authenticity, you know? Um, so there's tons of things like that in the movie. Tell me about Amber. She's pretty amazing. Um, I couldn't recall seeing her, at least not like this in a movie before. How'd you find her? How'd she get ready for this part, which is extreme, seems extremely physically challenging. Um, so she was in the show Legion, um, which had some action in it as well, but I, uh, you know, we, we, we auditioned lots of people, Amber, I, I thought as soon as we saw her really struck a nerve with me. And, um, when we auditioned, we, we had her do a dialogue scene three different ways, it, um, as scripted in Comanche and then silently. And when she did a dialogue scene without any, you know, dialogue, uh, it was incredible, it was incredibly moving. And that, and that, that's really what this movie needed. And then even we had this whole physical portion of the rehearsal and she never was just like running and jumping and crawling. She was finding emotional beats inside the physicality of all that. Um, which once again, to making a movie who, that's told primarily through action, like that's essential. So, um, she was amazing. She then did her and all the guys did like four to six weeks of um, boot camp, not only learning skills like archery and and for her tomahawk and um, all that's and all the fight choreography, um, but also just sort of bonding with each other and um, learning uh, sign language and um, and how to be how to think and move like a hunter in seventeen hundreds. I was hoping you could walk me through the submerged in the swamp sequence that plays a pretty critical role in this movie. Um, even with all the design and the previs and everything that you're talking about, there's still like a real practicality and a physical world that you're operating in here. How do you do that? <laughs> how did you How did you make that work? It was so hard. Um, it seemed we like looked it. a lot. We looked a lot at uh, Neverending Story. Um, oh, and and which shot on like giant sound stages, you know, that we did not have, we dug a ditch and built a, built a mud pit, um, in nature. I will say the interesting thing is that you wouldn't know it was there when we show up in the morning to shoot, you know, just walking around as soon as a person entered it, like as soon as human flesh interacted with whatever was in there, the most horrible stench you could ever <laughs> smell erupted from it. I don't know what that chemical interaction was, but it was, um, disgusting. And a number of actors had to go, we had doubles that had to go in there. Some performers, Amber, um, others, uh, that had a, a, the, the other trick of it is, is once you go in, you can't be clean again for a while. So we, we actually shot it over the course of a week of shooting five days um, where we would do like all the entrances. We got that. Cool. She gets clean. We regroup. Then we shoot some night stuff in that scenario. 
um, in, in, in around that sound that 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 set um, that was outside. It wasn't the soundstage, but um, and then the next day we come back and we do all of her leaving the you know like we would just have to do it over the course of the day because once you're in, that's it, and then you don't want to spend too much time in there anyway. The whole schedule because we were chasing great light and we want to dawn and all the time. Like we shoot a part of a scene at dusk, shoot a night scene when it's dawn, and then we shoot the next part of that scene or a different scene. You know, it was really um, the the movie looks as good as it does. I think not just because we had a great cinematographer, um, but really the figuring out. Well, I mean, his collaboration with um, uh, producers to figure out the proper scheduling. So the film is debuting on Hulu, and I'm fascinated by this. I had the good fortune to see it on a big screen. Predator movies, and your movie in particular, are action epics. On the one hand, so many more people are going to see this movie now, especially in the first couple of weeks, than presumably would have gone out to a theater to see it. On the other hand, maybe they're not seeing it exactly as you had imagined they would see it. I'm always interested to know how filmmakers feel about this when their work goes to a streaming service. How are you feeling about this? Um, yeah, I mean, we look, we definitely, uh, I, I would say this one is, is even grander in scope than any of the Predator movies. Um, and we definitely designed it to be a giant experience. Um, so in that regard, yes, it's a shame that uh, it's going to streaming, but us movies around forever, you know? And so who's to say there will ever be screening experiences for people to have. That said, we did do this Comanche dubbed version of the movie um, that you alluded to before I, I forgot to speak to. Um, and that's, you know, we had all the actors return um, and voice their roles again in Comanche. So you can watch the entire film um, dubbed in Comanche, uh, you could put on English subtitles. You could not just let it wash over you. Um, that's something that we can never have done theatrically. It's, it's sort of a historic moment. It's the first time that's ever happened for a brand new release of a movie. First time in Comanche. Um, also I will say for those with great HDR televisions at home, the movie looks like green predator blood looks fantastic in <laughs> HDR. So that's a plus. Um, but, you know, I, I wish people could see the theater. It's certainly a great crowd experience. So I think, I hope people can invite as many friends over um, as they can. Get Pop some Totino's pizza rolls in the <laughs> oven and, uh, and get some popcorn and, and have a good time. Dan, what are you doing next? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm so focused on finishing this. We really, we really, we really finished this. Not only, not only did we finish this the last possible second, we finished it beyond the last possible seconds that you're allowed to finish something. <laughs> um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> but there's certainly lots of things that I've been involved with for a very long time that hopefully I get to make. And, um, and more of this stuff would be great. We have lots of fun ideas. So, um, yeah, we'll have to see. Dan, we end every episode of this show by asking filmmakers what's the last great thing they have seen. I know you've been working hard on the film, but have you seen anything great lately? Of course I have. Um, of course I have. And I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, I mean, I will say the things that I was talking about the most with the post crew 
that I would not shut up about were the were two shows, Station Eleven um, and Midnight Mass. Uh, those were like I couldn't. I saw them, you know, back. It was like spoils are it. It was incredible, incredible. Um, Midnight Mass, especially. I mean, both of those shows, so great. Um, so that could be my answer. That's great. Dan, I thought Prey was really great. Thank you for doing the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you to Dan Trachtenberg. Thanks to CR. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for his work on today's episode. We'll see you later this week on The Big Picture when we'll be talking about bodies, bodies, bodies. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.